This is Foolish Adventure, episode 59, How to Use Trends and Fads to Your Advantage. Welcome to another episode of Foolish Adventure. I'm Izzy Hyman, and I'm here with my friend and colleague, Tim Conley. What's up, Tim? <laughs> What's up, Izzy? That was my cr- voice-cracking voice. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, okay, so we're going to talk about something kind of a, a mentally stimulating type of topic today. I think it's going to be, I don't know, if I'm, if I'm in the audience listening to this conversation, I'm going to be trying to look around and spot new things, and it'll kind of make me sensitive to the world around me and looking for opportunities. So let's talk about how to, you know, ideas for recognizing coming trends, things that you can do to recognize coming trends, and things that you can do to recognize the difference between what could be a fad and what could be a trend. And, and so what happened is Tim and I were just talking about this, just the two of us talking about this as we're getting ready to, you know, to talk about what we're going to record. And I said, let's just record this because this is an interesting conversation because Tim's basically teaching me about the difference between like what stuff is a fad, what stuff is a trend and all this. So I, I think this is a pretty cool thing. One thing that I've, the one thing that I've found is that the more familiar I am with an environment and, uh, and the more I'm kind of ingrained in it, the easier it is for me to see what could potentially be the future of this. Like, for example, if I'm really into video and I see that certain people are doing certain things with video and they're just starting that and I think, man, I'd really like to do that too. And then I think there's a lot of people that, that would like to learn how to do this, then that might be, I, I actually think to myself, I think that's going to be popular in the future, but I didn't used to think that. I never really tr- tried to think about, okay, what's coming. I didn't used to do that. It would be like just kind of enjoying the now and all this. But then for some reason I started looking for what's coming, what's going to be happening this, what's the direction of the video, what's the direction, where's this going from here? And I know Noelle does that all the time with scrapbooking where, you know, she's so ingrained in the scrapbooking world, she can kind of sort of predict the future in some ways about what's going to happen in the future with scrapbooking, what are going to be, so she can kind of see what trends, you know, she'll say something like, oh, this just started happening this, this year at the Craft and Hobby Association, we saw that people are using this one kind of design, you know, people are using a lot of balloons right now. And balloons, it's been, you know, eight years, 10 years since last time people used balloons. So balloons are going to be really popular this year. And you would call that a fad, right, Right, Tim? Because it's only one year, right? So she can recognize what's going to happen like for this year and maybe even beyond that or like certain colors. That's another thing. Colors come in and out. It's sort of a trendy type of, you know, faddish type of thing. So what's the difference then, Tim, between a fad and a trend? Well, before I pop onto that one, one of the things that – because you said – something very important. You started noticing what is going on in, in a particular industry and, and that you could foresee certain things coming. And I think that comes from the switching over from a consumer mindset to a producer mindset. Oh, so, yes. So a producer starts looking for ways to produce value where a consumer just wants to get what's now. You know, they, they just they just want to consume what's coming. They, they're not looking to predict it because, well, who cares about predicting something because you just want to get it when it comes out. Uh, but a producer is thinking, well, gee, if this is going this direction, I could produce some value here and get value returned back uh, if, if this idea actually, you know, pans out the way I think it will. So I think that's more of a a a producer versus consumer mindset shift to be able to see those kind of things. 
one thing I've realized is that ever, and I love, I love how, cause I got that concept from MJ DeMarco, the idea of switching teams. There's two teams. There's the producers and the consumers and 95% of people are consumers. 5% of people are producers. The consumers need to consume stuff. So they need, there needs to be stuff for them to consume. So that's where the producers come in. And, and what he basically says is producers do can do really, really well financially. And he says one of the keys to success basically is to switch from being a consumer to being a producer. It's just a switch in mentality. Instead of thinking, instead of thinking, you know, what class am I going to take? Think what class am I going to make? Instead of thinking, you know, what, what TV show am I going to watch? Think what TV show am I going to develop? Or what book am I going to read versus what book am I going to write? You know, so you become a producer. And I think you're totally right, Tim, because ever since I did start producing my, my own stuff, what's happened is every single day I get these bursts of inspiration of, oh, I could totally make this and I think it would do well. Or, oh, I could totally make this and I think it would do well. So it becomes, it literally becomes the thing of having to, uh, 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 having to say no to stuff. In my mind, I have to say no to stuff all day long because opportunities are everywhere. There's right. just, they're literally everywhere. I mean, and one, one of the things I think, to look for a potential upcoming trend is to, is to see, okay, if you think to yourself, man, I want to, this is something I want to do because based on my industry, I see other people are starting to do this and I want to do it too, but it's really, really hard to do right now. Well, a possible upcoming trend is making that easy. So there could be like software that makes whatever it is that was hard to do software that makes it easy. There could be new tools that come out that make it easy. It's like that idea of if you know that the gold rush is coming, you want to be selling shovels. Right. <laughs> it goes back to that. I don't know. So uh, let's see. Where were we, though? I lost my train. Well, it going into, from there into determining whether it's a, uh, a fad or a trend and what, uh, what the difference is. So like you, you were just saying, there's opportunities everywhere. And, and, but then you have to decide whether the opportunity is a fad or if it's a trend. And, and some people say, some business people say, stay away from fads, but there have been a lot of people who have made fortunes off of fads. So, so you can come in and take advantage of fad and, and even go from one fad to another fad. And, and to define that it, it, a fad is something that becomes popular for a short amount of time and then dies off. It doesn't. It may not necessarily go away completely, but it it may just drop back down to a normal level. Like every so often, um, uh, yo-yos become popular in the United States with kids. So at one point, sales will spike, and then then it'll dr- it'll dry up, and then you go around look trying to find a yo-yo, and you'll only find like one or two varieties. But then as the trend as the fad comes back then you'll find like all kinds of yo-yos everywhere. And that's one you, know, you can see coming and going over the years. Uh, it, it just becomes popular and then goes away. Uh, uh, different types of clothes do the same thing. Uh, what was it about uh, in the book, The Tipping Point? They ta- uh, one of the examples was uh, hush puppies, uh, the shoes. Uh, I believe it was uh, hush, pu- hush yeah. puppies, yeah, it yeah, was, yeah. or or one of the other goofy, ugly shoes from the '60s. It was so, hush puppies, yeah, yeah. So it, you something that was popular in the '60s and uh, and '70s, uh, you know, it goes away, and then um, and then it just com- out of nowhere comes back be- uh, because it becomes a a trend uh, uh, for uh, for the. Um, 
cool crowd, you know, so the kids go out and start buying this kind of thing. And, but now nobody talks about that anymore. And it just, with just in a short amount of time after that book coming out, nobody was talking about them anymore. Uh, so you can see this kind of thing happening in fashion all the time, uh, with like Uggs, those, uh, uh, boots from Australia, you know, they, they were popular and then they, then they declined. Uh, so all, all sorts of things have that happen to them. All sorts of industries have fads inside of them, but what you would have in say fashion, well, certain types of fashion can become a trend like the, uh, outdoor trend that happened. I, I don't know about outside the United States, but in the United States, uh, uh the outdoors, Clothing became a gigantic trend uh, starting back in the 80s, and it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And more and more outdoor stores went from selling like um, uh, the actual gear, you know, like uh, skis and poles and uh, boots and stuff like that, to actually selling uh, t shirts and sweaters and uh, coats and all sorts of stuff. So you go into like an REI or uh, some other outdoor store, you're going to find lots and lots of clothes in there. And a long time ago, you would not see that. So, so that, that was, that's an actual trend. What types of clothes and stuff that are popular inside that trend, that, that's the fad part. Cool. So what you're saying then is a fad can be a sort of like a subcategory of a trend. Yeah. With right. The, the trend is the bigger long-term direction. And it's sort of like the difference between weather and climate. Whoa. Yes, so yes. client, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Every once in a while I pull one, a good one out. <laughs> so, <laughs> that would be so, so, you know, for, uh, I mean, for an, ex as an example, we were talking about this final cut pro 10 course that I just released. Okay. So let's go back. Let's go back a few months and actually we can go back a while to final cut express. When I created my final cut express course, final cut express had been around for several years and I thought, you know, I created this course because there wasn't really a good free course on the web and it did really well. And we all, we, anybody who's listened to the show before knows the, the story that that basically took my website to a next level once I created that course. And then, you know, fast forward some time and, and I really experienced a lot of success with that. And I was happy with the results. And I started thinking, you know, I should do a Final Cut Pro course at some point. And then I, and then I was like, you know, I'm not going to make one right now, though, because there's supposed to be a new one coming out. And then I went to NAB, and I had heard rumors of this, but when I went to the National Association of Broadcasters show and I saw the I saw the preview where Apple gave the preview of the new version of Final Cut Pro 10, I thought to myself, this is you because it's so new, because they basically rebuilt it from the ground up, there's a big opportunity for somebody to come in and do a training tutorial that's all about Final Cut Pro 10 from the ground up because people are going to be looking for it because it's totally new. It's it, the same buttons that worked before don't work now and it has a new interface and they rebuilt it from the ground up. They, you can't even bring the old projects into the new version of it, you know. So if you created old project files, you can't bring them in. It's that new. So so I you know, they announced it's coming in June. So I came home and I said, "Okay, I don't know when in June, but the new Final Cut Pro 10 is coming coming out. And I said, Noel, we can't plan anything. This is my wife. We can't plan anything. No vacations, nothing. Because when that comes out, I'm going to buckle down and I'm going to learn it really well if I can. I didn't know if I'd be able to for sure because I didn't know how hard it was going to be. I said, I'm going to learn it as well as I can. And I'm going to uh, create some training materials around it. And I didn't know exactly what it was going to look like and how it was going to work. But I thought there's going to be opportunity. So... 
you know, it comes out at the end of June. And for the first three days, I studied the help files and the interface. I read through every single page of the help files over and over and over again until I understood it. And I was practicing and learning stuff pretty well. I was trying to find other training materials on the web to help me learn it as I was learning it. And there was hardly anything out there. There were some paid courses that came out that I didn't buy, because, but these paid courses were folks that had the software for two or three months beta testing it, you know, with Apple, giving them feedback and helping them. And meanwhile, they get to create tutorial training all about it. And I, I'm like, this is so unfair. Meanwhile, yeah, I mean, it's not really unfair. It's, they earn the rights to be able to do that. And maybe at some point I'll be able to get a preview copy too. Well, so I spent the first few days just studying like crazy. And then I, I, uh, you know, started recording and it took me a few days of recording and then I finished it and published it and I got it, I got it done within seven days. So seven days after its release, I have my tutorial out on the web and it instantly multiplied my traffic by like eight, eight times, 10 times my normal traffic. I don't know how long it's going to stay that way. It's probably died down at some point, but for now I'm getting a lot more traffic than I used to. And all of this is to say that from with a producer's mentality, you know, there's a lot of people that are sitting in the audience there going, going, oh, I can't wait till Final Cut Pro 10 comes out because I'm really looking forward to using it. Meanwhile, I'm sitting there with the producer's mentality the whole time going, I can't wait till that comes out because there's going to be so many people that are wanting to know how to use it. I'm going to learn how to use it like awesome. And I was I was starting at 7 a.m. and recording all day till 1 a.m. the morning, you know, like doing these marathon sessions where you know, I wasn't shaving. I looked like a mad scientist that never left his lab, you know, <laughs> and uh but but that's the, you know, I had to focus in and spend a ton of time doing it. I wanted it to be really, really good. And there were some times where I do a recording and I'd be like, that was probably good enough. But I'm like, ah, I, want, I want it to be really, really good if I can. So I'd go back and do it over again and over again and over again. So and by by the way, with that repetition of doing things over and over again, I really learned how to use the software well because you know, I'm learning it and training it and doing it over and over. And the repetition really helped. But but, uh, you know, I saw that as a big opportunity and kind of like a this, I thought I told everybody, I said, I think this is going to be my biggest thing that I do this year. It could be my biggest opportunity this year. like in the whole year might maybe longer. I don't know, but I, but so far the results have been better than they were with final cut express. And it's brought more awareness and I'm getting, you know, articles written about Izzy video. And one of my, one of my websites that I read every day called ProVideoCoalition.com. very sophisticated name. Sounds really intense. It's sort of like the academia world of video. And they called me a colleague. They said, our colleague Israel Hyman Izzy from IzzyVideo.com created this course and everybody should, you know, thank him for it. And they wrote that article on, uh, you know, it's just like, uh, I don't know, it did everything that I was hoping it would do and then probably more. And I, I don't know, there's going to be probably more things that I can do. But my whole point of this is, I guess, that that with that producer's mentality, I was looking for what could be. Now, the question is, what before the show started, you were saying things like, you know, Final Cut Pro Ten. Final Cut Pro 10 right now is a fad, but there's going to be new, it'll level off and then there'll be a new version. Then it'll level off and there'll be a new version and it'll spike when the new versions come out. So this is like writing the opportunities fad to fad, which to me sends the message that I don't, that's not a sustainable business long-term because I'm just, you know, I'm just, uh, what would be the trend version of this then, Tim? Well, the, the trend version. Uh, so yeah, that's what started this whole conversation was us talking about your, you call, uh, cause you called, a, a Final Cut Pro X, a trend uh, that, you know, you were looking at this as a trend. And I was like, well, it's actually a fad because it won't stick around for a long time. And and then we got into the uh, like de defining it because you were saying, well, 
Final Cut uh, Pro is going to be has been around for a long time and will be around for a long time. And it's like, okay, yes, but the the fad is right now everybody's interested in Final Cut Pro X. So it it's it's spiking right now, but it will go back down to a norm. Uh, and and stay in and then until the next product comes out and then it'll spike back up and go back down to a norm so so that right there shows it as being a fad but the overall trend is that more and more people are getting into video so video uh, has been growing exponentially because bandwidth costs have been going down so more and more people are putting video on the internet. So more and more people are getting into video. Video is becoming cheaper to produce. So that that drives more people into video and more people want to share their videos. So and since the internet keeps getting cheaper and cheaper, that makes it easier and easier for people to share their videos. So that right there shows a long-term trend. At what point will that level off? I I don't know because I think I think video even though it's been in the works for over 10 years is just is just now i think you know getting into that up curve i think it's been like a, a slow incline for the last decade and and then and now we're starting to see uh, upward growth uh, so maybe maybe it's going to skyrocket over the next few years uh, even compared to how it's grown in the last 3 so, so I would say overall video, uh, specifically uh, internet distributed video, is going to be a, a, a long-term trend. There's another trend, I think, also at the same time. And, and by the way, I totally agree. I think video is a long-term trend. I think it's, I think we're, you know, you, you might say we're still at the very beginnings of it, but it feels to me like we've been, maybe it's just because I've been in it for so long, but it feels like it's an old trend, like we're midway you know, it's been going a while and there's no doubt that it's a trend. It's not like something that's coming. It's definitely, I don't know where it is on the S curve or whatever. It's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's uh, at the beginning of that hockey, uh, hockey stick growth, right? So you have that, that, that low plane that's slowly uh, going up and up and up. And then, then at one point, at some point it does that whole exponential growth where it almost goes straight up. Uh, We haven't gotten there yet. Well, there's another trend here, and that is that that you know companies start stopped including as many help manuals like manuals with their software. This happened, you know, this has been happening over the years where you know uh, Apple might create. I don't know. I'm not going to say Apple. Let's but their, say their manuals sucked anyway. So yeah, okay. So they stopped including manuals to I guess maybe bring the cost down, and because nobody reads the manuals anyway, right? So. So there's that. So they don't include the manual, but the software is still kind of complex to use. So that creates a need for additional manuals. And so companies like there's it. There's a whole series of books, really good books called the Missing Manual series. I don't know if you've seen this, Tim, but you can go to the bookstore and buy like the Missing Manual for iPhoto or the Missing Manual for iTunes or the Missing Manual for iMovie. And and uh, they're written by people that basically said, you know, you got to learn how to use this stuff. And if you really want to learn how to use it, then you're going to need some sort of guide. And so here's this, these books. Well, the thing is, books are awesome, but the trend is moving away from books. And so there's been more and more like video training on how to use software on the web. So that's a trend. That's not I don't think that's a fad. I think that's more of a long term thing has been gaining in popularity over the years. And with these other things with with books, with the manuals being missing, with people not reading books so much, I think it's a natural fit for people to want to seek to go to the Web for their video training on how to use software. So that could be like a long term type of trend. 
Right. So there's something else I'm working on right now. I don't really want to get into detail so much, but I think it's more of a fad. It, it might be more of a fad. I don't know. But um, but I'm going to I'm going to chase that one, too, because it's related to video. And we'll see uh, if anything is, you know, anything comes from it. So a lot of a lot of products tend to be a fad, but being able to run along inside of an industry. So like, like you were just saying about the fact that guides uh, on how to do the actual software, if they have them, they tend to suck if, if and but most of them don't have it. So then you need to uh, th- there's a huge opportunity to actually go out and teach people how to use uh, use stuff. So if you're looking at the trend in, in video, well, since so many people are coming into video, anything related to video is also going to go up, except for technologies that become outdated. Those are going to uh, die off. So so if you go from, say, one technology to the next technology and just follow the trend upwards, that that's that is, you know, using fads to continue uh, to keep growing with the upward curve of, of uh, the overall video um, a trend. So now if we take it back to internet business, one of the things that you mentioned on our last coaching call, uh, when we were talking to the, the members of our membership site, you were talking at the end, you said something about how you see a, a new, I don't, I think you, I don't think you called it a fad. I think you said a coming trend is to return to eBooks again, where people are going to be publishing more eBooks. Is that, would you call that more of a fad because it's just temporary? It'll be around for a few years and then there'll be something else again. Um, yeah, yes and no. Uh, there's there's going to be a a long term trend in ebooks. Um, certain people are going to come into it and then go away. Uh, they're going to find it popular and then stop talking about it. Like it, that short burst uh, this year from from essentially, well, actually in the last twelve months, where bloggers were talking about you know finally making money from their content and they were going to have paid newsletters. And, and so lots of people were talking about it, but very few people were having any real success with it. And so it, it just kind of died off. You don't hear much talk about it in, in the blogging world uh, now, uh, that, that particular technology. But email, email marketing and even paid newsletters, I, I think, are going to be an upward trend. Uh, even though may, uh, certain groups may uh, come, come and go in that trend uh, and ta- talking about it, making it popular. Uh, I, I still think the overall trend is still going to exist. What's occurring with ebooks right now is that there's a technology explosion that's making ebooks um, accessible, and, and that's something that it ha- they haven't really been before. So, so we had like uh, cheap. Uh, ebooks before, you know, free ebooks, people give away their, their marketing manifestos and stuff that we've talked about before. And then you have the internet marketers who sell their ebooks for like $27 or $47 or, or whatever. Uh, and, and even in all sorts of niches, you'll find, uh, ebooks on like, uh, for, for like cancer patients and, and those will be like $27. Well, what we're seeing now is, Due to Amazon and and uh, iTunes, uh, Apple's gotten into it with their iBook store, and uh, the Nook is very popular also. So Barnes and Noble has their platform of selling eBooks, and then everybody else is kind of. There's a bunch of smaller players getting into that, and and the price has dropped. So 
what would have sold for $27 and, and would still sell for $27 on its own website, selling it through traditional internet marketing strategies. Uh, you know, it would still sell for $27, but you put it in this other platform and it's going to sell for three. But there's going to be tens of thousands of people that could be a potential, your potential market in, in this thing at three bucks. So, so that, that's the big difference. The internet marketing tactics that, that made ebooks so popular in the past are very difficult to use right now especially Google AdWords, which was a great way to just drive tons of traffic to your ebook and make a lot of money. Well, Google got made it very difficult for somebody who's just selling a $27 ebook to make uh, to actually profit from their uh, from their ebook just using Google AdWords. And and they just made things so difficult. So now I think I think there's a great trend for nonfiction authors to start producing ebooks in uh, in these different uh, new technologies that are coming up. Can anybody just go publish in a Kindle store? Yeah. Yep. Huh. It's easy. And a lot of junk is on there. But thankfully with the, the review process that is already in in Amazon and and I, I haven't really played around with Barnes and Noble stuff, but in Amazon, you know, that you see customer reviews. People review those those products, and and you, they, either they have a bunch of stars, or they have very you know they either have four or five stars, or they get one star. So that right there is going to help people you know pick through the junk. So you know how do you determine buying a one a ninety nine uh, between two ninety nine cent ebooks? You know how, how do you make your decision? Probably going to be based upon the reviews. So. I, I see this as a great marketing tool because it's really difficult to make a really good living off of a 99 cent ebook unless you're selling in huge volume. And there is a possibility for that because there's already like 3 million uh, Kindles in the world. And, and that doesn't include like Nook, which I think there's a couple million of those out there. And different ebook readers. So in total, there's probably about six million uh, ebook readers out there, not including people who are just reading ebooks on their computers, or on their or, or on their iPad or anything like that. Because I don't even know how many iPads were sold, but it was millions. So so in so there's just that market alone is is big, but it's growing, and it's growing rapidly. So there is a possibility to make a living selling low dollar. Uh, books. Uh, some uh, several fiction authors are already doing it and making a lot of money, but very few nonfiction authors have have capitalized on it yet. And I think I think there's going to be a great opportunity there. But even better than say for a fiction author is that a nonfiction author can then direct people to their website and sell additional things, especially more expensive things. So it's a way of actually having people buy into your sales funnel. That is interesting. You know, and as you're talking, it occurred to me that I have two different, I have two different, I guess, maybe definitions or pictures in my head of what an ebook is. Because when I think of an ebook, I think of those PDFs that you pay for off the web, you know, 27 bucks, $39. And I've bought plenty of those and read them and they're PDFs, you know, so I usually read them on my iPad where I bring it into Goodreader and swipe my finger to turn the page and all that. 
but then there's all the books that I read. So there's eBooks, which I buy off the web and they're PDFs. And then there's the books that I read, but you know where I buy my books on the Kindle and they're electronic, but I don't think of, it just occurred to me. I don't think of those books on the Kindle as eBooks, right? Yeah. Even though they are there, but to me it's wild because, and you, that's interesting because if you start reading books electronically without even really thinking about the fact that they're eBooks, then maybe in the future, it's not going to be eBooks and books. It's just going to be books, but they're electronic. Right. And if, and I think I heard, I think I was listening to a radio show recently where they were talking about, it was a technology um, segment and they were talking about how is one in every 40 people now in the U S has a, either a Kindle or some sort of an eBook reader. There was some big number like that. I don't, don't quote me on that exact statistic, but I think it was something like that. And there, and, and I think last year, I think it was in 2010 where Amazon actually sold more eBooks than they did hard, you know, actual physical books for the first time in a quarter, I guess, or something like that. So, so uh, yeah, I think you're right that it is a, a trend and I think you're right about the pricing that inside that platform, if I was, if I was looking, you know, doing a search for books about email marketing and I saw one of them was, you know, $47, but most of the rest of them are under 10 bucks, then I'd be, I'd probably send up a few flags and maybe that $47 one wouldn't do really well. But if they're trying to sell it on their website using the traditional internet marketing strategies, then they probably could. But you know what? There's a, a bigger audience on the Kindle platform than there is on my website. Right. And that that's where the that's where the opportunity lies in this trend is, uh, yes, you're going to drop from, say, a th- selling a thirty dollar ebook down to a three dollar ebook, uh, which is a huge drop. But your costs are going to go down to almost nil. So your your upfront costs. So like in selling a thirty dollar ebook, you're going there's still a lot of marketing. Uh, heavy marketing that has to be done with search engine optimization, paying for ads, uh, Google AdWords, that eats up most of the profit to where a lot of those ebooks just can't make a profit because there's just not enough people buying them. But you take that same ebook, sell it in, you know, say it's it's for, uh, um, you know, cancer patients or something. So you you take that ebook and you put it into um, into the Amazon uh, platform, but not just Amazon. You've got the uh, the Barnes and Noble platform. You've got iTunes. Uh, you've got all these other ones. You put them there, and now you've op- opened up your market to uh, millions of people who are coming in browsing for particular topics, and and then you just need to start doing efforts and getting seen in in those markets. And and we can go into that kind of stuff another time, but that's that's something that's important. You know, it's like you you get found in there, and so yes, you are only making after your the fees are taken out, you're making two dollars and forty five cents, but now you're selling a thousand of them a month. You know, the, uh, whereas with the with the thirty dollar ebook, you're you know probably netting maybe ten dollars off of each sale, but you're only selling five or six a month. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that's like the difference. Very cool. So how do we sum all this up? Cause we need to end this show. How do we sum okay. it up? Let's bring it all together. Well, uh, I would say that 
there, there's money to be made both in fads and trends. Uh, learning how to spot them uh, tends to come from a producer versus consumer mindset. And uh, a producer is going to have a better time looking at, uh, at trends and, and fads and seeing a way to uh, create value in, uh, during that time period. So, so I think that's, I think that's the, the major lesson here. That's awesome. Well, I, I just can't imagine somebody could, could, uh, listen to the show and not start having, you know, ideas start swimming or get some inspiration or start looking at their own industry that they're in or their niche and start thinking, okay, this is happening, this is happening. And so this could be a potential trend in the future this other thing. So I don't know, hopefully though, there's going to be some fun there, uh, some fun inspiration and some ideas that maybe you can run out and go pursue, but you know, sometimes it can be very distracting to be pursuing too many things at the same time. So maybe it makes more sense just to focus in on what you've already started. Right. So, anyway, but hopefully this information is helpful. And until next time, enjoy your foolish adventure. Thanks for listening to Foolish Adventure. If you found this information helpful and want more like it, please visit foolishadventure.com. Do you have specific questions you'd like us to answer? Leave a comment on the website. Who knows? Maybe we'll create a whole show to answer it. Also, we have a voicemail line where you can ask questions. The number is 480-331-4695.